0: Hey, Connect Church, Pastor D here. So, so excited to be with you today on the Lord's Day. I'm in God's house. You're in your house. I hope you're ready to have church today. You can get your, uh, your, your notes out, your Bibles out, your digital phone, whatever you need to do. Go online, hit that little notes tab. Join me as we continue our series on the end times and prophecy. Now, by way of introduction, I think you probably remember Uh, A series of sci-fi movies with uh, one of my favorite actors, uh, more because of his hobby, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now, he was known as the Terminator in this series of movies, and he had this repetitive phrase that he would say... um, either right before he was getting ready to die, be incinerated, be obliterated, or something like that. Every single time he would say, I'll be back, you know. And and you know what? Uh, the next movie would come out, and sure enough, he came back, right, everybody? And so this iconic figure, this, this famous, um, you know, Terminator, and uh, more importantly, this statement has been ringing in our culture for many years, maybe even a generation almost through this movie series. But this line, I'll be back, was stolen. It was stolen because this line surfaces over 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ came from another world, another dimension as it were, and he dwelt among men. He came on a mission. He completed his mission, and just before he ascended into heaven, he said these words. I'll be back. And so I want to talk to you today about this phrase, uh, this idea. In fact, two angels said to all of the people that were there at his ascension. They said, why do you stand here gazing up into the heavens? Why do you look that way? Because this same Jesus who you are looking upon and that has been removed from us one day will return. And so I want you to know that as we continue our pilgrimage uh, of prophecy... I want to talk to you about what is known as the return of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the, the second coming. Uh, and this is where we get this line, I'll be back. Now, this day, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be one of the most epic, um, most powerful, dramatic events in all of human history. There will be nothing that you have seen in your lifetime, uh, either in, in the real world or in, uh, or through media or through movie or through film, that will compare to this particular day. It will be uh, unbelievable. And I want to explain this event to you because if you're going to... Um, have to decide something at the outset of this message, and before we really get into it, you're going to have to decide if you have not already, first, did Jesus Christ already come back the first time? In other words, was he here already once? Was there a first coming of Jesus Christ? If you don't believe that, you're going to have a really hard time with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Inside of that first coming, do you believe that he came as a child, that he lived a sinless life, that he died, and most importantly, that he rose again? If you believe he rose again, then you can come to the place and to the belief and the conviction that he could come back again. But if you have difficulty with that first coming, if you have difficulty with the components of that first coming, this will be a major issue for you going forward. But I would encourage you to settle that forever and for eternity for yourself because he certainly is about to come back. Now, the stage is going to be set for this event, this second coming, um, the preamble the, uh, and the prerequisites uh, for this we will discuss, but the, the thing that precedes his return is what's known as the Battle of Armageddon. Many people have heard this, but not necessarily certain about it. But to put it in everyday language, the Battle of Armageddon will be World War III. We've had World War I. We've had World War II. This means that there will be many superpowers involved for there to be a world war. And that will be the case for the Battle of Armageddon. There will be several superpowers involved, predominantly three major ones. And to understand this battle or this campaign, as it were, of battle, This is taking place over a three and a half year period within the seven year tribulation that we have talked about previously. Now let's review for those of you who are kind of jumping in for the first time. uh, The tribulation uh, which will follow the rapture is a seven year period of time. And Christians uh, prior to that are raptured up, caught up um, to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, the world won't see him. We will see him and we will meet him uh, in the air. He comes to pick up the saints, to, to, to take his bride, uh, to be with the groom, uh, to celebrate the marriage supper of the lamb. Now, uh, in addition to that, the Antichrist here uh, will appear and he will seek Uh, world, ultimately world domination under the facade of peace. During this seven-year tribulation period, sometimes known as the 70 weeks uh, spoken of in the book of Daniel chapter 9, it will all be inaugurated by an agreement that the antichrist makes with israel he will make a covenant with israel he will bring he will appear to bring peace to the middle east He'll, that's that's the sign when you see that the middle east has a temporary peace to it which has never happened before there's never been an agreement that has succeeded uh, you will know that is the antichrist and that is and that you are in the tribulation but he will come on the scene as a peacemaker and this man uh, I believe, uh, many believe, will come out of Europe. Um, Daniel uh, chapter 4, Daniel chapter 7 talk about what's known as the Ten Toes, uh, speaking of the Roman Empire at the time. But now we know this to be uh, Europe, and the European Union of these different territories has come, and he will arise out of these, this area and become the answer uh, to all of the problems that have surfaced in the Middle East, and he will ultimately uh, establish himself as an authority and seize power. And when he does this, something will occur, because he's going to become such a prominent, uh, popular figure. Um, he will begin to assert himself. He'll be like Hitler. Uh, Hitler once said, today Europe and tomorrow the world. That's his ultimate uh, Uh, agenda. And so he will come up, he will lead uh, out of Europe, and then he is going for world domination. Now, other nations, another fact is that other nations will resist this plan, this agenda of the Antichrist. Scripture says this in the book of Daniel, chapter 11. I'm going to be reading from verses 40 to 45. We're going to have some heavy duty scripture today. But at the time of the end, the end of the tribulation period, this is verse 40, the king of the south will engage him. Him is the Antichrist, the king of the south uh, uh, in this battle. And the king of the north will storm out against him. Him is the Antichrist. With chariots and cavalry and a great fleet of ships, he will invade. Many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will also invade the beautiful land that's referring to Israel. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt with Libyans and Cushites in submission. But reports, or you could say rumors from the east and the north, will alarm him, and he will set out in great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his world tents between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain, that's Israel all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Let me summarize this complicated, semi-confusing text just to be clear for you to the best of my ability. The Antichrist is going to come on the scene. And again, he appears to be a peacemaker. Then the king of the north um, will hear about his intent to for world domination, and he will not accept that. The king of the north is Russia, okay? Russia uh, and the communist bloc uh, will, will try to come against the Antichrist. I don't think it should surprise you that Russia would do this. Russia is, is kind of now getting closer to the Middle East, and it's, it's, it's within Syria now, helping them. And this nation that once... Uh, looked like it was going to fall apart. The collapse of the uh, Soviet Union has risen, seemingly overnight, to become a superpower and certainly a intricate part or force within the Middle East. Now the Scripture tells us that the King of the North is is going to join with the King of the South. Now the King of the South, uh, out of it says out of Egypt, but it's the Islamic nations. It represents the Islamic nations, and they don't want to be ruled by the Antichrist as well. And 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 they. Uh, Um, They remember uh, and know that he is going to attempt to position himself, the Antichrist, as God. So they don't want to be ruled by him. They join together, the king of the north and the king of the south. They're going to come against him. And the Antichrist is going to come over into the beautiful land, that is Israel. He will position himself in Israel, uh, the centerpiece of all of this conflict, specifically in Jerusalem itself, and he will defeat the king of the north and the king Of the south, and then the king of the east is going to hear about this. Now, the king of the east, the Orient land, uh, known as China, now sees that the antichrist has established itself as a power, defeated both the king of the north and the king of the south. And the Bible talks about that that he will come to invade and to attack uh, the antichrist. And Scripture actually records that there will be as many as two hundred million fighters. Like wow. This is big. This is a big world war. And in this three and a half period, they will descend. All these nations are coming to try to d- defeat the Antichrist. And the three kings and all their armies come against him. And so what happens? In Revelation chapter 16, verse 13, it says this. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon. The dragon is referencing Satan. Out of the mouth of the beast, that's referencing the Antichrist. And out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. It says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as to not go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in the Hebrew is called Armageddon. Now, so Armageddon is this huge Plain, P-L-A-I-N. It's staggering in size if you look it up online. Napoleon called it the most uh, natural battlefield on all of the earth. And the scripture says uh, that the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, kind of what I refer to in previous messages as the unholy trinity, lured the nations to this place, these superpowers to this place, and, and so they're planning to come and fight the Antichrist. They think one thing but another thing's happening. They're coming to fight, but actually the Antichrist is bringing them to a fight. and so they're coming to decide to fight, but Satan is drawing them and luring them to this fight because Satan, uh, the Antichrist, uh, the false prophet, have supernatural powers to deceive and to distort and to lure. But something else is going on. And there's another player in this story. Zechariah chapter 14 prophesies this in verses 2 and following. It says, "'I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. "'The city will be captured, the house ransacked, and the women raped. "'Half of the city will go into exile, "'but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. "'Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations. "'As he fights on the day of battle.'" On the day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And on the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley. And then um, there's another verse I'll get to later, but these superpowers they They all come against the Antichrist. Satan's drawing them to this fight, uh, to the Antichrist. But God also is bringing these nations there to confront the Antichrist and make sure, in a sense, they're all there. So all of this is going on. All of this is happening at one time. Men are making a certain decision to do something. Satan is leading men to do a certain thing at this time. But God is influencing that decision. This ought to tell you something about God. It ought to tell you that even when the devil is doing what the devil is doing, even if he's doing devilish things, it, he's doing it at the permission, this is a big word, at the behest of the Lord himself. He cannot do it without that allowance or without that permission. The, the, so the devil's really never just the devil. The devil is always under the ultimate authority of God. And even when he's doing his bad things, it still can be used and will be used to fulfill the plan of God in His sovereign will. So when the devil is messing with you, when the devil is confronting you, uh, you need to know what the Scripture says: "Greater is He who is in you than He who is in the world." Come on, somebody. So even if the devil is uh, doing devilish things against you, uh, it's just an opportunity for God to reveal Himself through you to show you how big He is amidst the middle, in the amidst and in the middle of those difficult circumstances to fulfill a plan and purpose for your life. Let's go back to this story, though. All these nations, they're conve- con- converging uh, in the Middle East, in, 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 in and around Israel, with the centerpiece, again, of being Jerusalem. The devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, they have this supernatural power, and the devil has this plan. And he's out to destroy Israel. Um, he's His only hope... Uh, to destroy or to have victory over God, really is he can't. He can't is to make sure that God's promises don't come true. Uh, God created. Israel ultimately to be a repository for his will and his word, his living word. And so the word of God written came through Israel. Um, Christ came through, the Christ child came through Israel. And so the devil, in addition to wanting world domination, is bringing everybody to the Middle East with with the goal of destroying Israel. Because if he can do that, then Christ can't return because of the promises that God had made. And so the promises of God was that Christ would would come back when Israel was saved. Remember that, okay? And accepted that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, for all intents and purposes, unless you are a Messianic Jew, uh, the the, the Jews, Israel, has not accepted Jesus as the Messiah. They do not believe that he came the first time, and now he's coming a second time. They're still waiting for the first time. But in in order for the promises of God to be filled, uh, Israel has to accept that Jesus is the Messiah. So Satan wants to destroy Israel so Christ can't return, prove Proving him a liar, and once God is proven a liar, Satan can have victory because God loses his integrity. Are you tracking with me out there? So um, you have in Revelation chapter twelve this strategy of destroying Israel. Revelation twelve thirteen says it like this. And when the dragon, Satan, saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman. The woman is referencing Israel, who gave birth to the male child. That's referencing Jesus. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman, Israel, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time and times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away. Like a flood. He was trying and has been trying to destroy Israel. I hope you can see that in this text. That's why you keep hearing about people uh, that don't like Israel. Um, the enemy has been uh, driving, uh, trying to drive Israel right into the sea, right into the Mediterranean uh, to just like flood it so that it drowns because Satan has inspired the nations with notions and ideas uh, for a millennia, for millennia, two millennia, so that it could nullify and um, uh, uh, eliminate God's Ability to fulfill his promises. This is more of the theological answer to the problems of the Middle East. I know that the Middle East has problems that you hear about or you might know about or that are on the surface, but it's important for you to know the theological reasons for why there is turmoil in the Middle East. There are tons of other surface reasons, but they need to be subordinated to. So Satan is hell-bent on getting rid of Israel because if he can get rid of the child that Israel gave birth to, Jesus Christ, he wins. So, So you see, he can't defeat Jesus directly and he knows that. So he has to defeat him by stopping his promises from being fulfilled through Israel, and that is the context of the return of Christ. The battle of Armageddon is the setup for that. Now, here's one more feature in this story. The Antichrist, as I mentioned before, will break covenant with Israel at the halfway point of the tribulation. Seven years, three and a half years in, he breaks covenant. This is referred to as, and you see this in Revelation and other places, the abomination of desolation. What? on earth is that talking about? It basically means that he, the Antichrist, will set himself up in Jerusalem in the temple of God, and he will set himself an image of himself and tell and establish himself as God. Yes, as God. Now, in Jerusalem now, we've lost the ability the the Jews have lost the ability to worship in the temple. They don't have that now. That is a is a Muslim mosque. Uh, the only thing we have is like the Wailing Wall. Uh, the the Jews only have that right now. But they'll get they're going to get it back. And in the middle of the tribulation, but the Antichrist is going to set his image there by and through the false prophet and establish himself as a god. Now in Daniel chapter nine verse twenty six it says after this period of sixty two. Sets of seven, the Anointed One will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and temple. The end will come like a flood in war and its miseries, and decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, that's three and a half years in, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. That's the covenant. And as a climax to all of his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious uh, object that causes desecration. He'll set up an image of himself in the temple, and it will cause desecration because he will set himself up as God. And then it says, until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. So he's going to get what's coming to him. But prior to that, this is like... Like, holy hell for Israel. To see him, to see him set himself up as God in the temple of God. But the reason it happens and reason it's possible is because the Antichrist will have supernatural powers. He will do certain signs and miracles to authenticate what he uh, established as an image of himself and encourages his, his followership. And he is going to, in essence, brainwash people with these signs and he will break covenant, set himself up as God, and now be able to perceive, seed with world domination, kill, de- defeating the king of the north, the south, and now the east is coming proclaiming uh, after he's proclaimed himself as God. Now, when this happens, and the whole world is focused on the Middle East, um, kind of as a sidebar, it's like I have to pause for a second. When the, all this is going on, it's like, it's like going to a play or a show, a live show, and all the lights um, are kind of lit a little bit, and you're talking and you're carrying on and you're just kind of, you know, having a little chit chat. And then all of a sudden the lights go dim. When the lights go dim and the lights come down, what is that telling you? It's telling you the show is about to begin. And when all of this happens in history during this particular time, it's showtime. It's another way to put it is it's like the sports announcer with the fighters. He says, let's get ready to rumble. The fight Is about to begin. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, it says, But immediately after the tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened, the lights dim, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heavens will be shaken, and the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together. His elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Everything is going to go dark because it's showtime, and the nations will have been gathered around this place, and the Son of Man will appear. In Revelation chapter one verse 7 it says, "Every eye will see him." I don't know if that's because he circles you know the earth uh, in a 24-hour period so that while the sun is light he's there wherever the sun is. I don't know if it's because of technology and our ability to see on every device or it could be a combination of both, but the Bible is telling us that no one will miss this worldwide event as the Son of Man returns. And then it says he will come with his angels, and he will come with somebody else. Look at this in verse 19. I can't help but stop on this. Verse nineteen eleven. it says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Come on, everybody, say white horse. I got to tell you about this first because in the biblical days, people would not be surprised by the arrival of a general on a white horse because if a general showed up, the Roman Empire, by the way, had conquered the then known earth. And whenever there was a conquering taking place, the general would be turned on a white horse. The white horse was a sign of victory. And so Jesus declaring his victory will come through the eastern sky, the son of man on a white horse. And it said, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. You need to know something. He's not coming back as sweet baby Jesus from Talladega nights come on somebody. This isn't humble Jesus. This isn't gracious Jesus. You and I can relate to Jesus in one of two ways. We can relate to him now uh, through the cross or we can relate to him then through a crown where he is king of kings and lord of lords. We can relate to him now as a redeemer or then as a judge. We can relate to him now as the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world or we can relate to him then as the lion of Judah. It's going to be our choice. We don't want the second option at the second coming of Christ. Today he weeps over you but on that day he will rule over all of humanity. Now most parents know that there are two sides to a parent. There's the parent that says I love you no matter what and I will give an organ to save your life but I'll show you a thing or two or well a thing or two as well. I don't, my my father used to say, keep it up, son. Keep it up. Why don't you keep it up? See what happens. When he would say that, I would shake in my boots. (laughs) I didn't want to hear him say, "See what? just see what happens. You know, because I had relationship with him. I had a fear of him that kept me from seeing that side of him. Come on, somebody. But the people, according to scripture, many will refuse to repent, will refuse to see Jesus for who he is, the savior of all mankind, will refuse to accept the free and gracious gift of salvation. And because of this, he has no other choice, but in order to fulfill justice, he has orchestrated an ultimate reconciliation of all things and a supernatural and mighty takeover of the planet earth, and the whole world will see it, and it will be centered around this time and this place. But notice who else is there. We are. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses. We get a horse too. Come on, somebody. We get a horse, and we're dressed in fine linen, white and clean. See, we were taken up. When the tribulation began here, we were taken up for the judgment seat of Christ. And we get to have our one-to-one interview with the Son of God. And in that interview, as we mentioned in previous weeks, it was to determine your rewards and your responsibilities, as we talked about regarding the millennial reign of Christ. And so depending on how you appreciated your salvation, from the time of your salvation to the rapture or death, will determine your rewards And your responsibilities. But on this day, all those who have made Jesus Christ their sin bearer will come back with Jesus Christ, and we will be the army of saints who have been dressed in our new heavenly bodies with some cool transportation to rule with him on this specific day. And so don't miss that. Some of you, because of how you live your life, will be mayors of cities, uh, governors. Uh, You might be presidents of nations. You might even rule planets and other parts of the universe. And that may seem crazy to you, but some people may be street sweepers because you never had time for God. You never made his agenda your agenda. You never made his priorities your priorities. And you may be uh, uh, singing in heaven while you sweep. In other words, you're happy to be there because you didn't get The wrath of God upon your life, but it will be clear that you were not one of the faithful ones on that day. But on this day, you come back on the second coming of Christ. You come back in victory because you belong to him. And this fight, this battle of Armageddon, it it is just a knockout in the first round. It goes very quick. The Bible says that he will slay them with the words of his mouth. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron Scepter And he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then an angel cries out and says, Come, gather together for the great supper of God. This is is sick. It says, So that they may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people free and slave and great and small. And then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider, on the horse and his army. Everyone who has accepted the mark of the beast on their hand or on their forehead, uh, God will destroy from the words of his mouth and they will die on that day. And they will be dinner for the birds on that day. And some may think this isn't true. And some may think this is a joke. And some may think this is made up. And some may think this is just some sci-fi story. But on that day, you will know. And that's why I'm telling you to reconcile and decide for yourself now in this life, in this moment, that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. Because if he did, you better not play with this story. You better not play with this reality. In Zechariah chapter 14, Uh, verses 3 and following, it says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. And when he fights on the day of battle, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in half. And then it says in verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day he shall be the only one worshipped, and his name the only one I remind you, according to his word and prophecy, he is coming to rule with an iron scepter. And we have this... Life, history now to make determinations for that. But all through history, people have been in essence looking for a righteous dictator. And he will come and he will rule with a rod of iron. He will not permit chaos on the streets. He will not permit police to hurt citizens or citizens to hurt police. Because he will rule this world with an iron scepter. And what he says goes and that settles it. We live in a day where everybody wants to be the king of their own life, or there's a king for everything. There's a lion king. There's the king of pop. There's the king of soul. uh, There's the king of rock and roll. There's King Kong. I don't care, but people, there's all kinds of kings that are out there, but on this day, he will declare himself king of kings and lord of lords, and he will be large and in charge, and everybody will have to check in with him, and he will judge mankind because they have the mark of the beast upon them, and they refuse to to repent. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 21, look what happens. It says, The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who had performed all these signs, deceiving many. With these signs, he deluded those who had received the mark. And worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and that, I will talk about that in the coming week. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of his mouth, and of the rider on the horse. That is Jesus. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. This is carnage like we've never known, never seen, ever in human history. In verse twenty of Romans fourteen, it talks about how the blood that was shed will literally splash up to the bridle of the horse. It's so, there'll be so much blood for 200 miles. The day of man, the age of grace, the age of the cross, the age of the church, God has offered salvation for free. He's saying, during this time, I want to be your savior. I do not want to be your judge. But during the day of the Lord, that's what this period of time will be. It will be too late. He will be your judge. He will no longer be your savior. And honestly... There's so much more to talk about in this subject. So many details, so many important texts. It's so intense. uh, And all I could touch on was was the majors here. And I'd like to explain it like this. It's like this watch. I have many watches at home. It's kind of an addiction. And many of the watches I have, I don't know how they work. There are many parts underneath the, the, the face of this, that, that the, the intricacies and the idiosyncrasies and the, and the way that things kind of work together. I have many watches with buttons and gadgets and gizmos, and I don't even use them because I don't know how to use them. And if you wanted me to explain to you how they work, I can't tell you, but I can tell you what time it is. I can tell you how much time I have left on that clock right now to finish this mes- message. I can tell you what my next appointment is and what time how much time I have for that. But if you're trying to get me to explain all of this to you and tell you how all the parts work, I get an excedrin headache just thinking about it. Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, so much stuff, so many pieces, so many parts. God, there's too many parts. There's too many pieces. I don't know how I can explain it. And God's just saying, just tell them what time it is. And I can do that. I can tell you what time it is. All I know is Russia is involved in this thing in the Middle East. I know Iraq and Iran are central to this. I know that Europe has a common currency and a common wealth, and there's something significant about that. I believe the Antichrist is coming out of that place. I can't give you all the elements, but I can tell you what time it is. It's getting late. It's getting late because based on my prophetic watch and the word of God, it's getting late and you and I need to be ready Zechariah 12.10 says they will look on him who they pierced. The Jews will look on him on that day uh, who they killed. But Romans 11.36, as a fulfillment of God's ultimate plan and prophecy, says all of Israel on the day that he returns will be saved. In short, God will use the activities of Satan to answer the requirements for Israel in order to fulfill a promise related to the return of Christ. And on that day... They will see him. They will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will believe he is the Messiah. And for us, when we see Jesus, we will see him and we will know that it is him because he will be unmistakable. On that day, they will know it's him because of his glory. On that day, we will know him because of his glory. But we will also know him in, on that day in the millennial reign and for all eternity because of his scars. Jesus will be the only scarred, imperfect being in eternity. You and I, whatever scar, I have several scars on my stomach and chest from different surgeries and things that I've had and injuries. All of those will be removed. It'll be perfection, glory be to God. And your, your body will be too. It'll be total perfection. But you will be able, Jesus, for Jesus, it will not be so. For Jesus, he, he will be unmistakable because his scars will remain. Why? Because it will serve as a reminder for us in all eternity that he carried through his scars, his uh, his nail-pierced hands, his nail-pierced feet, uh, his his the spear that went into his side and the scar from that, the scars upon his back, the, the crown of thorns upon his head, it all serve as a reminder that when you when you go on uh, the, the the golden streets on, you know, you could call it uh, gold street and silver boulevard. When you cross that place in heaven, you will have a moment of joy. You will have a moment of celebration because your eternal destiny was altered at the cross and our lives were purchased by the son of God because of his scars. And because of this, it will be an eternal reminder that the Savior is responsible not only for your eternal life, but for your new body, for your new life, and for your new responsibilities, and for your deliverance from the wrath of God. Can I get an amen from somebody out there? If there's ever a reason to praise him, you should need a worship team. You should just be able to review in your mind that his scars, uh, that his bruises, that his pierced side, all of those things. because of what he did for you, provided an eternal destiny. And I don't know about you, but my eternal destiny is in his nail pierced hands. My eternal security is because of what he did for me on Calvary 2000 years ago. Now I don't know about you, but I believe my redeemer lives. I don't know about you, but I believe my redeemer rose from the dead. I don't know about you, but I believe my redeemer is coming back again. Can I have an amen out there? Can I have a big amen? Come on, somebody. If you believe that, you are on your way to glory. So you should glorify uh, him here on earth. If you believe that and you're on your way to heaven, you shouldn't be ashamed of him down here on earth. If you believe that, your life should never be the same again. Now, I want to pray for you wherever you are, with every head bowed, with every eye closed. In this moment, I want you to make sure that you receive the the Savior, that you receive the Lamb of God before you have to face the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world, yours, mine, everyone's, if we receive by grace through faith what he did for us. If that's you today, would you say this prayer with me? Say it uh, with conviction. Say it from your heart. Speak it out with your mouth. Say this, say, Jesus, today I give my life to you I don't want to go another day without knowing you, without feeling the security that comes with the gift of salvation that you provided for me when you gave your life for me. You died, you lived and died so that when I die, I could live with you forever. I receive that gift today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to know something, that all of heaven rejoices. Jesus no longer is weeping for you. He is is celebrating because you just made that decision. That makes him so happy. And because of that, you can come back on the second coming of Jesus Christ and be a part of that army. You can celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You can rule and reign with him in the millennial reign. And you can be with him and the whole family of God for all eternity. God bless you guys. It's been an honor. I love you.